live from Washington, D.C. every Wednesday from 3 to 4 p.m. for an hour-long Generation Progress takeover. Check us out at genprogress.org or on Twitter at genprogress. Hello and welcome to the Generation Progress takeover of the Leslie Marshall Show. I'm your co-host, Brent J. Cohen. And I'm your co-host, Charlotte Hancock. Thanks for joining us. We're going to be talking today a bit about uh, really what's become an epidemic, or I shouldn't even say what's become what has been for far too long an epidemic in this country of gun violence uh, and the need for uh, the United States government, the United States Congress, as well as state legislatures to step forward uh, with real policy solutions to solving and ending this epidemic of gun violence in our communities. Uh, an epidemic that has uh, costed and, and caused the uh, the death of far too many people, far too many young people in particular. We know that uh, young people are, are significantly overrepresented when it comes to fatalities as a result of gun violence. Uh, Generation Progress put out a report last year uh, that said gun violence had actually surpassed car accidents as the second leading cause of death among young people ages 15 to 29. Yeah, I mean, it's really, it's at crisis proportions here, and I think that um, we're starting to see people talk about this as something that is not just a problem with Parkland. I mean, we, we, we see things where there we have mass shootings, and these mass shootings get media attention and everything, um, but also that folks are starting to recognize that this is this is a neighborhood problem. This is a community problem. This is something that has been impacting often black and brown communities for a very long time in an everyday way. Um, and it's it's you know it it's great to see that uh, some of these these groups um, like the Parkland students um, are making sure to be so intentional about uh, recognizing that there is an intersection here. And while they have been impacted. Um, so badly that it's not that they're not the first people to have been impacted. It's um, it's something where they uh, use their their platform and their power and their media savviness to sort of uplift others in the space as well and talk about this as a problem that America has as a whole that needs to be fixed, not just as something that uh, it's not just mass shootings that we're talking about here. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's such a huge point here. Um, it's not just mass shootings that we're talking about. And we saw uh, the House, the United States House of Representatives, take some um, significant steps today, uh, passing three bills um, out of the House, uh, or I'm sorry, moving from committee onto the House floor. Uh, this is in addition to the bills that were passed back in February uh, related to universal. Um, uh, so these latest are around the uh, extreme risk protection order which basically says if we know if, if family members or others associates call and say this person poses an immediate threat to themselves or others and they're in possession of weapons there's an opportunity there to temporarily take those firearms away uh, we've heard anecdotally that the um, shooter in El Paso uh, that his mother had expressed concern about him having uh, an AK-47 or AR-47 and was essentially told there's nothing we can do about it um, so we've seen ERPO laws passed in several states now across the country. Uh, they're sometimes also referred to as red flag laws, and they've been shown to particularly demonstrated to to be particularly helpful when it comes to reducing suicides, uh, in addition to other types of uh, gun violence. And then a really meaningful uh, bill that moved to, uh, yesterday in the House uh, is around high capacity magazines. Um, and these are sort of devices that get attached to guns 
both handguns and uh, um, assault rifle weapons that can significantly increase the number of bullets that someone can shoot. Uh, it's the reason why the shooter in Dayton, Ohio, was able to get off 41 rounds in under 30 seconds uh, because you never have to essentially remove your finger. Uh, there's so many going through and, and taking away high capacity magazines means that somebody actually needs to take out an empty clip and reload and that pause and that uh, interrupts the shooting process and so hugely helpful and really what will be key here is determining whether the Senate, whether Mitch McConnell, the Senate Majority Leader, is prepared to actually do something to stop the death of children and other people in this country. Just yesterday, my son had a lockdown drill at his school. Yesterday. My son is five years old. And he had a lockdown drill. And I can tell you, growing up in L.A., I had no problem getting access to handguns. Now, I, I won't sit here and tell you that I had access to an AR-47 or any of these other extreme firearms. I know that's... Uh, we've seen the police chief in Baltimore. We've seen the police chief in, in D.C. tweet out... Um, uh, pictures saying that they are in fact recovering these weapons on the street. Uh, I, I believe it. I think that's absolutely true. I didn't have access to that as a kid. What I did have access to were handguns. Rel relatively easily. Um, and so when we talk about epidemics, when we talk about gun violence, so much of what we're talking about is the free flow uh, and, and just the incredible number of guns that we have on our streets here in the United States. Absolutely. And I want to go back to one of those points that you just made um, about this needing action from McConnell. And I think there's a viral clip going around today about Nancy Pelosi um, saying, you know, uh, we've, we've done our job. It's time for McConnell to get his people in order. And the blood of all these children is pretty much on his hands. And I think we're going to listen to that clip right now. Lives are at stake. Senator McConnell is standing in the way. We passed our bill in February. Members had events all over the country to ask him to bring up the bill. Don't ask me what we haven't done. We have done it. And if you are annoyed with my impatience, it's because people are dying. Because Senator McConnell hasn't acted. Why don't you go ask him if he has any regrets for all the people who died because he hasn't acted? That that's exact, and I think that is exactly right. So that was um, Nancy Pelosi uh, earlier today, I believe, speaking to a reporter who had asked her, you know, uh, why why it was that um, the House hadn't convened a special session to act on gun violence um, or hadn't uh, canceled recess or anything like that. And I think Nancy Pelosi was um, was being pretty straightforward. You know, um, all this spring uh, the House has been acting on the the gun crisis, and all this spring the House has been trying to bring legislation um, to 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 pass and make sure that. Um, there, there is something that's happening on the guns crisis, and it's really down to the Senate now to actually make sure that something's. It is willfully and obstinately uh, just refusal to act. Um. Oh, it's it's active refusal to act. So back in uh, in February, the the House had passed universal background checks, albeit with some problematic language that was inserted there at the end, but nonetheless a, a strong universal background check. Uh, bill and uh, also passed uh, a bill to close the Charleston loophole. They've come back now to do disarm hate, which says anyone convicted of a misdemeanor hate crime should no longer have access to to firearms. Uh, and or I'm sorry to move forward. I don't believe it's fully passed the disarm hate bill, as well as um, 
the high capacity magazines and the ERPO law. And yet Mitch McConnell is sitting here saying when when President Trump says he has a bill that he likes, then we'll move on it. Folks, that's not why we have co-equal branches of government. <laughs> that's that's not that's not the system that we have in place here. Yeah, I mean, when you have an executive branch that refuses to do anything um, when Americans are 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 dying daily uh, from a crisis like the gun violence, uh, like the gun violence crisis, that is when it's somebody somebody else's job to step in. When you have a president who refuses to act or uh, has the fully incorrect priorities and decides to tweet at Chrissy Teigen um, about <laughs> about criminal justice reform, right? Which we can we can have another show about the First Step Act. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it's just remarkable to me. <coughs> it's just remarkable to me that Mitch McConnell continues to hold on to this position of power, continues to stifle um, debate in this way, continues to line his pockets with money from the NRA, um, and, and yet refuses to take up action on the bills that the vast majority of Americans want. 90% of people want universal background checks. Uh, the vast majority of Americans say we should ban assault weapons. And yet, here we are with more regulations on driving a car than on owning a gun. It's wild. So, this is the uh, Generation Progress Takeover, the Leslie Marshall Show. Young people are leading the movement on the gun violence prevention. Young people are leading the movement in saying that our generations require more to be happening here. We're going to require more from our elected officials in Congress, more from our elected officials in state legislatures across this country. And when we come back, we're going to talk more about the work that young people are doing to end the gun crisis epidemic. All right, and welcome back to the Generation Progress Takeover, the Leslie Marshall Show. Uh, I'm Brent A. Cohen, your co-host. And I'm Charlotte Hancock. And we're talking today about the just incredible inaction on the side of the Senate to actually move anything related to uh, gun violence prevention measures. We've got an epidemic in this crisis of, of quite frankly, people being killed or, or severely injured by guns and, and uh, people shooting guns. And yet we're not seeing the type of action from our elected leaders that we need, uh, types of common sense, common sense reforms that would actually let people live with some level of safety. Um, so joining us now in, in studio is J.P. Thomas, Senior Program Manager for Brady's Team Enough. Thanks for joining us, J.P. No, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. So um, we've been talking a bit about um, uh, the the recent developments here in the House just yesterday. Uh, three big bills moving uh, in addition to the two that were passed uh, back in February. Uh, so the the uh, extreme risk protection order bill that says if someone's a threat to themselves or others, uh, credible threat and in, in, in possession of firearms, an opportunity there to temporarily remove those weapons. Um, the disarm hate bill, um, which our team here at, at CAP played a role in in terms of uh, if you've been convicted of a misdemeanor hate crime, uh, restricting your access to firearms. And then finally... Um, and 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 very significantly a ban on high capacity magazines, uh, which is uh, short of a ban on on assault weapons, but extremely significant since high capacity magazines can be used both with handguns and assault rifles. Uh, so JP, what do you what do you make of all this movement in the last couple of days here? 
Well, I think one thing that we're very excited about, about the markup that that pushed through all three of those bills last night, was that the House of Representatives is continuing to put pressure on the Senate to make sure that they know which body is the gun sense body in the legislature right now, and that we will continue to pass bills that will and are proven to save lives through a lot of good work done in the states. And we've seen even a large capacity magazine ban um, passed from 1994 to 2004 and save a lot of lives. So we were we're excited that the House is continuing to prioritize the issue. Um, and we saw at the Gun Violence Prevention Task Force forum yesterday, they are calling on Mitch McConnell to bring up every single one of these bills and are not going to accept the fact that he says he won't do anything until the president uh, makes up his mind, which is simply not enough for us. No, and a, and a total abdication of duty, right? Constitutional duty at that. And when you talk about uh, people demanding that these bills get brought up, uh, again, we're not we're not talking right now about a full ban on assault-style weapons, but we know 70% of all voters across parties support would support such a ban, uh, and well over 90% would support universal background checks. Um, so this is really something where there's significant appetite uh, among people in the United States, and in, in a situation where you really have just a handful of people blocking the will of the country. Exactly, and one I was brought on to Brady. I came from kind of the organizers world, particularly the electoral organizing world um, in Northern Virginia, where I worked on one of those swing districts that we saw switch from um, an NRA backed candidate over to a gun sense candidate. And I think that, as you mentioned, all of these different policies have incredible backing, almost more so than any other from the American public. And if they do not, if the American public does not see these things pass, they're going to know that those senators who are blocking these things, they need to be kicked out of office because they're not listening to the majority uh, of Americans who want this issue addressed. And I think we particularly saw that uh, after the shootings in El Paso and Dayton earlier this summer, where during the August recess, thousands of thousands of Americans went out, had rallies in their local districts, in their states from Colorado uh, to Arizona uh, to California, all across the country, calling on senators to come back early and vote on these bills. And now we're seeing them come back uh, after the August recess, and they're just going to be willing to stall, change some, some, some of their talking points to talk about video games, which is something that we really feel is detrimental to the to the conversation about gun violence prevention because it's trying to use kind of a small magic trick to get people to to not pay as much attention. Yeah, and I mean, I would like to talk a little bit more about it. I, I mean, we've spoken so much about um, abdication of responsibility, abdication of constitutional responsibility here. We've got legislators who are not doing what their constituents are asking for. Uh, it's like I don't understand what is so hard about this. You know, like why is it that we're seeing just a total? I, I don't even want to say inaction. I want to say like willful. I, I want to say sort of like willfully, uh, like blocking, <laughs> like blocking, resisting, resisting. Yeah, yeah. Uh, any sort of um, possibility to to get this like crisis full blown, full blown crisis under control. Like what? Why? Why are we seeing that? So I think there's this. Um, one, the first thing that we 
that we focus on a lot, and we actually have a new um, website coming out called Bloody Hands, focuses on the impact that the gun lobby um, has through their donations in the electoral process in order to drive uh, elected officials to do and follow their agenda. So if you look at... um, Donald Trump, for example, during the 2016 cycle, he received more than $30 million from the NRA, uh, whether that's ads um, looking to support his agenda or against Hillary Clinton's. And you see that up and down that list of senators, whether it be Mitch McConnell, whether it be Ted Cruz, the gun lobby has decided to really invest in these candidates. And we've seen that um, time and time again, that their talking points, the NRAs, the gun lobby's talking points, are the ones that they will spout after some of these mass shootings and after summers where we see incredible amounts of gun violence. Um, but beyond that, we're seeing that money relate to conversations where after Donald Trump, for example, um, was calling for background checks after the El Paso and Dayton shooting, there was recorded in the Washington Post and New York Times that There were then a couple of calls with uh, Wayne LaPierre uh, in charge of the NRA, and that messaging kind of changed a little bit. So we're seeing that that influence behind closed doors um, really is impacting the way that leaders in the Senate and even in the president's office are talking about this issue. Um, And another point is that there's this disconnect um, where we're seeing Republicans um, if, at, if I could just interrupt no, you no one problem. second, we're going to go to a commercial break and we will be right back with the Leslie Marshall Show. My daughter died. I live with that every second of every day. And he lied to me and all the other victims that day. And he's done it again since the other mass shootings. When he talks about doing the right thing for a brief second, and then he says, but I spoke to the NRA and he walks away from it. So, Mr. President, let me tell you something. I don't care about you. This is not about love or hate. I don't care about you. I care about what you do. And I hate what you are doing because you are using the pain of the victims of gun violence to speak in a way that allows you to look like you're going to do something, but only to play games with their emotions and not do it in the end. I don't care about you, Mr. President, but I hate what you do. It is time for you to stop talking on this topic until you are ready to give Mitch McConnell the go-ahead to open up the Senate and actually take on legislation. Enough. Stay out of this. Keep your mouth just quiet unless you're ready to actually be a serious participant in this conversation. was an audio clip of Park, uh, the father of a Parkland victim, um, Fred Guttenberg. He was making an appeal to President Trump, um, to the Hill, to do something about the crisis of gun violence here in this country. Uh, you are listening to the Generation Progress Takeover of the Leslie Marshall Show. I'm your co-host, Charlotte Hancock. And I'm Brent J. Cohen. And today we're talking about uh, gun violence prevention, um, some of the action that we're seeing on Capitol Hill, um, but also some of the stonewalling that we're seeing on Capitol Hill. And we are here in studio with J.P. Thomas. He is the Senior Program Manager for Brady's Enough Team. Thanks again for joining us. 
No problem. Thank you for having me. And I wanted to uh, give folks a, a minute to hear a little bit more about um, your organization, um, how it is that you have a basis in this work, um, how the how the organization came about and the team that you work for. Great. Yeah. So Brady is an organization that many people may know from Jim and Sarah Brady, who were the advocates. Jim's, Jim was the um, press secretary for Ronald Reagan and was shot. And he and his wife, Sarah Brady, decided to take on the issue of gun violence prevention. And they were the original uh, advocates who really pushed and led on the Brady Bill in the 1990s. And Brady is an organization that works across courts, communities, um, and in Congress in order to work with um, stand united with gun owners and non-gun owners alike so that we make sure that we can help end this epidemic of gun violence. And I particularly work on the organizing team, particularly with Team Enough, which is our youth organizing group that we really focus on helping bring up those voices of people who haven't really been able to be heard in the gun violence prevention movement, particularly groups who've been impacted directly by gun violence. So Team Enough, we really try to focus on bringing the voices of people of color, LGBTQ voices uh, to the table so that they really can feel uh, like they are a part of this movement as well. Um, and we do a lot of work both on the on the Hill lobbying and also uh, in communities across the country and cities um, like San Diego, Tampa, um, all over. And we are really excited about the energy that the gun violence prevention movement has has had since some since Parkland and a lot of that's because of the energy of young people they have brought a new energy a new voice to this movement that um, I think all in almost every organization we've been impacted by and really benefited by um, particularly you'll see that um, on the Hill right now. There are students all over the place lobbying, uh, whether they're from March for Our Lives, Team Enough, Generation Progress, um, all over. Um, and it really has had an incredible influence in, in making sure that lawmakers are prioritizing the issue of gun violence prevention. Yeah, you're so right. Young people um, really have been leading this movement, um, and I mean for decades even. And it's so amazing to see so much of the media attention um, that the the Parkland mass shooting was able to make sure, uh, like, really shed the light on how you know how widespread this issue is, how much it's not just the mass shootings like Parkland and stuff like that. So it's it's so I I loved the intersectionality of the Parkland kids. You're like, yeah, this is totally a different generation and I, I am here for it like they they didn't just come in and say like we're starting this new thing they were like you know what like I'm, I'm working with teenagers in like downtown Chicago who uh, who like their families and their um, you know their their grandparents their parents um, their cousins everybody's been impacted by this for you know for much longer than we in our, our Parkland neighborhood have so I think it's I think it's pretty badass. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that. <laughs> yeah, well, well, we just said it. Uh, yeah, I, I think it's been I think it's been really incredible to see that the way that they've lifted up other folks' work in this space and helped shed a light on the work that's been happening. And we know young people have been doing this work for a long time, whether it's community-based um, ceasefire, cure violence type work, really trying to engage and say, you know, let's shut this down. And now the the amplified call in Team Enough has really been a big part of this in terms of uh, the amplified call to elected officials to get to work. 
and say, um, you know, we're doing what we can do here at home. It's time for you to do what we elected you to do in the state capitol or in the in the U.S. capitol. Yeah, I'm loving it. I'm loving the energy. Yeah. So so we've talked a bit about uh, a couple of times now the the movement out of committee on these three bills just yesterday, last night, right, 10 o'clock. Uh, or so we were talking during the break. Can you can you let's dig in a little bit more on the three the um, um, extreme risk protection order, disarm hate, and of course the ban on high capacity magazines. Yeah, so those are so there are three bills that passed through markup in the Judiciary Committee yesterday, um, and there is another hearing coming up on an assault weapons ban on September 25th. But last night was very exciting because. Um, three bills were able to be passed with, and they were completely, there were no amendments tacked on. They were clean bills, which um, was something that Brady was really focusing on um, in the committee room. So the first one, the Disarm Hate Act of 2019, um, was is a law that is focused on making sure that we can strengthen our background check system so that those who have um, committed misdemeanor crimes of, of hate whether that be because of a person's identity such as race, religion, sexual orientation, gender identity, disability. Um, those types of crimes should not be, um, there should not be added a gun to, the, to somebody who's committed that type of crime. Um, and we, we've seen that since 2017, there have been more than 8,400 hate crimes that were reported to the Department of Justice. So we're seeing that this is a, a, a problem that has only been increasing since uh, President Donald Trump has taken office and is one that we really want to make sure that we're disarming those who have already shown that they are more likely to um, cause harm, cause violence um, from a place of hate. And, and beyond the Disarm Hate Act, um, there was a very important uh, second bill, which was marked up, called Keep Americans Safe Act. And that's the one that you mentioned focused on large capacity magazines and making sure that um, these, uh, these holders for ammunition that can be added to guns, and these are often more than 10 to 15 rounds and can go up to as many as 100 rounds for, for one clip. Um, cannot Sorry, be... I, I don't want to interrupt there, but that is, I mean, I what, 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 what does anybody need this for? Like, I don't, it, that is, that is literally a weapon of war. If you need 100 rounds of ammunition to shoot off in a couple of seconds to kill something in your backyard, um, you are some type of person that I do not want living next to me. <laughs> Yeah, and and you know what? So it wasn't that long ago. I think it was probably like 20 years ago um, when these high-capacity magazines were out there. uh, Assault rifle-style weapons couldn't handle them. They couldn't handle that level of of, of, – that number of bullets going through a gun, and so they would often jam at at a certain point. Gunmaker's response wasn't to say, okay, maybe this isn't where we should be going. Gunmaker's response was to go – adapt their guns to the high-capacity magazines. And those are the types of magazines that we've seen used in mass shootings like Virginia Beach, Parkland, Vegas, Newtown, because people recognize that when you decrease the number of times that you have to reload in a situation where you're trying to kill the most people possible, it makes it harder for police or even victims to stop the perpetrator. 
And we saw that in Dayton, because the person had a high capacity magazine, only in 32 seconds, they were able to kill nine people and injure 17 more. And that was in 32 seconds because they didn't have to reload any clips. And you can see just in that short amount of time, even when police were there with weapons on the scene, these weapons are so powerful that they can do incredible damage and, and put a lot of fear into students, concert goers, people all around the country as well. But the beyond the, the high capacity magazines, the one intricacy that I'd, I'd want to add on to those who are interested in this bill is that it's not um, there's no mandatory buyback attached to it for high capacity magazines. So instead, um, there will be a a. Um, voluntary buyback where those people can um, get them sold back into law enforcement. Um, but it will mean that after the high capacity magazines been used by that person, it can no longer be passed down to anyone beyond that. So hopefully it would begin to stem the tide, obviously of the manufacturing, but also high capacity mag magazines in circulation. And the last bill that was marked up last night was, as you mentioned, one that has gotten a lot of play um, in the gun violence prevention movement, and you may have heard about from President Donald Trump, was the Extreme Risk Protection Order of 2019, and that's H.R. 1236. And this is really interesting because there's been conversations both in the House and the Senate where they're trying to kind of combine two different ideas into one Extreme Risk Protection Order bill. The ideas, one, are offer states grants to implement their own extreme protection orders. Um, and we, we've seen this um, already passed in 17 states, including Washington, D.C. Um, and the other idea that is being, um, that is put into this bill is that there would be a federal extreme risk protection order. So those states outside of those that have already passed the laws would have some type of federal system where they could petition the federal court in order to remove um, a weapon from someone who is at risk. And one particular way that we've seen these laws be most effective is in um, decreasing the amount of suicides that um, that folks in um, states that have already implemented extreme risk laws. And they've been proven to work because there was a research done in Connecticut that showed that for every 10 or 11 extreme risk laws, there was one life saved. So those are pretty incredible research numbers that people have been able to research for, for five, 10 years. Yeah. Yeah. No, and, and, and thrilled that, that these things are moving in the House. Need to continue to call on the Senate and, and specifically Mitch McConnell to move them uh, in, in that chamber. You know, I, I, I'm just sort of reflecting. I don't, I can't for the life of me figure out why anybody would be opposed to any of this. And I can't for the life of me figure out why this is the extent of what we're talking about, frankly. Um, the day that I graduated from college, I was standing in downtown Oakland with a bunch of friends and got into an altercation with somebody on the street, uh, a disagreement, an argument over uh, him grabbing uh, the arm of a, a female friend I was with and sort of jumped in and said, hey, you know, like, you can't do that. Uh, after a couple minutes of going back and forth, his response was, I got something for you in my car uh, and went to go pull out a handgun from under the front seat, the, the passenger seat of his car. Thankfully, uh, one of the other women I was with interceded, had a conversation, talked him down. Literally, the conversation went from him pulling a gun on me to talking about what was your major, which was the strangest uh, segue <laughs> in a conversation I'd ever had in my life. Wow. But I remember that day being like, it was that night. We were trying to go to a club and 
couldn't get in. And, and I remember that night thinking, like, oh, I, I almost got killed tonight. And it wasn't the first time that I looked at a gun in, a, in an altercation. The fact that these the circulation of weapons out there, um, how like I I guess I just don't understand how somebody else believes they have a right to a firearm which supersedes my right to live. I don't. For me, that doesn't make sense. Um, and I don't understand how the parameters of the conversation have been dictated uh, by the gun lobby or by, frankly, or even by uh, certain gun owners who feel like. Uh, their right to a weapon uh, under with no restrictions and zero regulation is more important than not just my right to live, but anybody's right to live in this country, including children, because we know we have young children and school-aged children um, and teenagers who are victims of gun violence in this country. Uh, and you know, my hope is that something the tide has changed. But quite frankly, if after if after the Newtown shooting, we couldn't we couldn't get there with a president who was ready to go, um, we'll, we've, we've got our work cut out for us. And, and I'm hopeful that we'll get there, but we've, we've, we've definitely got our work cut out for us, and it's going to be young people who lead on this issue. There's no question in my mind. And, and we've seen a lot of really gun, good work done at the state level to help address the issue of gun violence prevention. And some states have really shown, such as California, um, Massachusetts, that they can be a model for the rest of the country and that these solutions are backed by science. But you're right. There are more guns than people in the United States right now. Um, and we have seen from time and time again that adding a gun to a confrontation, um, an argument, very rarely, will almost never will make anybody more safe than if there was no gun in that situation, particularly in domestic violence situations. Um, and one thing that we're talking about at Brady um, to address some of the systemic failure is we're asking for there to be a majority vote on these gun violence prevention measures in the Senate so that we don't need to make it through a filibuster. We want a straight 50-50 vote where, where we get to hear on people where they stand on these gun violence prevention measures. That's right. 51 votes is all we should need to pass this uh, in the Senate. I mean, it's the will of the people. Uh, Americans have been pretty clear on this. We're ready for gun violence prevention measures. We're ready to stem the tide of gun violence in our country. Um, we've been talking here with J.P. Thomas, Senior Program Manager for Brady's Team Enough. Uh, where can folks reach you on Twitter? Reach me on Twitter at uh, organizer underscore J.P. Organizer underscore J.P. And we've been talking here on the Generation Progress Takeover, the Leslie Marshall Show, about gun violence, gun violence prevention, measures moving right now on the Hill. And uh, we'll be back after this with the news. Welcome back to the Generation Progress Takeover of the Leslie Marshall Show. I'm your co-host, Charlotte Hancock. Um, and just there at the end of the commercial break, we were uh, hearing a little bit about some of the 9-11 first responders. Um, and so we're going to be hearing a little bit more about 9-11 uh, with Bob Nay, a reporter from Talk Media News. Um, 18 years ago, 9-11, America was under attack. Uh, Bob, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. Um, so everyone has a memory of that day as we remember the victims, the first responders, and um, the resilience of Americans. Um, and I know that you uh, also have a story there. Um, and you were meant to be 
on the top of the World Trade Center that morning. I was supposed to be uh, there, yes, that morning. And because my friend Ellen Ratner, who is the creator of Talk Media News, many people know Ellen, she changed uh, her birthday. And as a result of that, I went a week earlier. So as a result of my friendship with Ellen, I'm talking to you today. And then I was in the Capitol, and uh, we evacuated the Capitol. I worked with uh, Congressman Steny Hoyer, who's now the number two Democratic member in the country right now. He was our ranking member of the committee I was on. The two of us worked together, and it was a different era. I, at no time did Congressman Hoyer or uh, Nancy Pelosi, minority leader, play any politics with us at all. We all worked together to improve the safety and security, yet openness of the Capitol. So I have many, many memories of that. Of a lot of brave responders, a lot of brave people, and, of course, the loss of lives. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think I was on my way to Spanish class. Um, I w- mm-hmm. <laughs> I w- there were mm-hmm. not a lot of TVs on my campus um, or anything like that. There was one TV, uh, I think, in our in our high school, um, and I was in, I think, ninth grade. Um, wow. So uh, people found out pretty slowly and then very, very quickly. Um, so, uh, yeah, a lot, a lot to think about today. Um, so uh, we also have um, a little bit of news coming out of um, North Carolina here. There was a special election yesterday in North Carolina um, and might have some indicators for 2020. Yes, very close election. The president won by 12 points, but the Republican uh, narrowly won. That uh, gives a lot of optimism for the Democratic side, frankly. Uh, they got very close on it. I think it shows it's going to be a very, very close uh, race last time. And uh, not to interrupt here, but I can't go without passing that the world is a better place because John Bolton has been fired by the president, in my opinion. <laughs> I can't let that go by. One one piece of good news. Um, yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Um, that was Bob Nay, a reporter with Talk Media News. And you have been listening to the Generation Progress Takeover of the Leslie Marshall Show. I'm Charlotte Hancock, and we will be back with you next week, Wednesday. Uh, talk to you then. Thank you.